In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing engaging an active killer. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today, we're going to be discussing the article, Face to Face with Evil. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So, let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This is Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. It reads like this. The Lord shall cause thine enemies to rise up against thee, to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee on one way, and flee before thee seven ways. Great verse for us today, because what we're talking about is the active killer at your church. This is, they're there, they're shooting, they're taking lives, and it's up to you as the safety team to neutralize that threat as soon as possible or, at minimum, mitigate the number of casualties. So, there's lots of, um, before we continue, I just want to remind you that this is another one of those programs you're just going to want to share with your team, staff, volunteers, and let them watch this or let them listen to this program, and then I'm going to encourage you potentially the leader, I'm assuming, go down into the notes, click on the little tab to get the weekly show notes, put in your email address, it takes you to another site, you put in your email address, and then we email you the show notes. And with those show notes, it gives you talking points. And now you can follow up with your team members that you shared this this program with and say, hey, you know, what did you think about this? What did you think about that? How did, how is this going to play or how might this work at our church? And kind of challenge each other and help each other continually grow. You know, one of the things that are out there, and you've probably heard of this before, it was called the One Minute Manager. And if you're a leader in your team, or maybe you're not a leader in your team, maybe you're somebody who's just trying to do the best you can, you can still take these moments, these, these one minute, these short time frames, to talk to other team members, get their thoughts, their opinions, and really challenging each other to become the best you possibly can. Now, I'm not going to read any of the news stories. I know that's kind of a different thing for for me, but a lot of these news stories are really just, you know, active shooter type scenarios, you know, it's and we've been talking about them. We have a special series on this. And you can really go back, I think we're either up to 17 or 18 different active shooter scenarios at Houses of Worship. So you can go back into these programs, back into these YouTube videos. You can find that playlist and you can go through each and every one of these. And we know they're out there. I recently tasked one of my researchers to go back to 2014 and look at mass shooting events at Houses of Worship. So she's still putting together all the data, but hopefully in a relatively, um, in a short time, hopefully. It takes a long time, basically, when you think about going back and looking for all the active shooter, mass shooter situations that happened at Houses of Worship. But we're putting this together. Now, we're only focusing on what's you know considered a mass shooting, which means four casualties. So that's a combination of dead and or injured. 
And so we're putting this together and, you know, we're going to have some good numbers and some good things to talk about. There's a lot of these incidents and it's more than, it's more than the news media covers. Um, you know, so not to go off on a tangent, but I was recently contacted by a news media thing and they wanted to talk about the vandalisms that resulted from um, the change in Roe versus Wade. And clearly the media had a completely different, how shall I say it? It was very bad journalism because they wanted to talk about how vandalisms have increased at churches because of the Roe versus Wade. Well, the truth of the matter is this, is any data that's out there right now is completely anecdotal. The FBI has not released their statistics since 2019. So we're not even close. And anecdotally, I can tell you that just reporting on things, the number of crimes, vandalisms, arson, stuff like that against churches have been have increased over probably the last two, two and a half years. And so if there is an increase from the you know the Supreme Court decision, we won't really truly know that for probably two to three years. Um, but once again, we can say anecdotally, I can tell you it seems like there's a whole lot more, but a whole lot more, it was actually started about two years ago. So anyway, my point ultimately is this. If you want to learn about active shooter situations and more specifically lessons learned, jump into that playlist on YouTube and watch those past videos. And um, and from that we talk, we give it like a little brief outline of them, like we did last week, a brief little outline of what happened, and then we get into the lessons learned. But I'm hoping you're not missing out on this. We're at, like I said, we're already at 17, 18 episodes. Jump in there, get in on that, and start talking to your team because this is one of those maximum, um, practical things that I try to give you guys. If you do this, it's going to make your team safer, and I hope you take advantage of it. All right, so you're definitely going to want to check out Wesley's article on our website. Like I said, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net. Read those articles. Wesley and I, we often come at things at different angles. And so Wesley's a smart guy, just in case you're wondering. He's very smart. He's probably a little bit more, how shall I say it, studious, if you will, or complete than I am. Um, and so there's a lot to be gained from his perspective, his thought processes. And I actually like working with Wesley because we do come at it at, a, at different angles. And um, we really complement each other a lot. So make sure you're reading those articles. All right, so what I want to focus on with you is this is I want to focus on the containment team and the engagement team. So this is the safety team members. It's the armed members primarily that we're focusing on here. We're not necessarily talking run, hide, fight. I'm not talking to you today about lockdown procedures. I'm talking about armed safety team members responding to an active shooter. And from my perspective, there are two main ways that armed safety team members could respond in. So the one I'm going to start with is the engagement team. Now, the engagement team is basically everything you probably imagine if there was an active shooter at your church. 
it's going to be you and maybe a, a second person, a third person, or maybe more, depending on the size of your church, of people that are armed and trained to respond to an active killer. And so they're moving through the church smartly in order to neutralize the threat as soon as possible. Now, I can't necessarily teach you tactics here, but I want to give you a basic concept that's going to help you in these kind of responses and may even inform how you do practice drills with your team. And that is how the OODA loop, which you're familiar with, that's observe, orientate, make a decision, and take action. That's the OODA loop. And we're constantly going through that. I forget the gentleman who created it, and unfortunately it's not in the article, and therefore I don't remember offhand. But anyway, the point of the OODA loop is this, is anytime you're presented with a you know, deadly force threat, or any threat really, what you do is the first thing is you observe that action. Then you orientate yourself to that action, then you decide what you're going to do, and then you take action. This is true for the, the good guy, just as well as the bad guy. Now, we're focusing on the good guy. And how the OODA loop informs the importance of cover and concealment. So, let me give you an example to kind of give you an idea where I'm going with this. If you're moving towards where you believe the bad guy to be, and you walk out into the opening, or you walk out and into a, uh, enter into a hallway or go through a door, the bad guy is already in his own OODA loop because he's getting to killing. Is his, his OODA loop is very short in a sense. He observes the threat, which is basically anyone with a pulse, right, in the church, he observes what they're doing, or you know, so he observes them. He orientates them himself to it. That means he's pointing the gun at you, because he's already made the decision, and that's to kill anyone who's walking, and then taking action, pulling the trigger. So his OODA loop is that fast. Now you, on the other hand, you have a handicap. As you're moving through that church. You may not know who the bad guy is. You might not know where the bad guy, or, you know, where who he is or where he's at. And so your ability to observe somebody with a gun in plain clothing, this could be an armed, you know, an armed person that you didn't know, or it could be the bad guy. <coughs> Sorry about that. Then you have to orientate yourself to them. You have to make a decision, is this a good, bad guy? You know, is this a good guy, a bad guy? Am I in then action? Am I going to shoot or am I not going to shoot? And so your OODA loop is maybe just a fraction of a second longer than the bad guy's OODA loop. So you have to buy yourself some time. And the way you buy yourself some time is good use of cover and concealment and three to five second rushes to use a military term. So here's, here's how this would play out. You hear gunfire. It's going off. Because you can actually act, hear the gunfire, you can move pretty rapidly to, towards that gunfire. But as you get really, really close to it, 
you need to slow down a teeny bit in order for your in order for you to take advantage of tactical angles and things to that effect. If you hear the gunfire as an example coming down from the hallway and you get up to the hallway, then you know you want to use that in that case there. You're using that cover and concealment. You're slowing down a little bit. So now you can look down that hallway, observe the threat, orientate yourself to it, make a decision, is this a good guy or bad guy? And then you take your action, which is probably neutralizing them. But now imagine another scenario with this OODA loop thing is what if the gunfire is not consistent? So all of a sudden you hear bang, 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 bang. You pull your weapon, you start moving forward. But as you're moving forward, it's like how far can that bad guy move in the time that you've been moving? They can cover at least the same amount of ground that you did. So where are they now located? Did they go left? Did they go right? Did they go deeper? Did they come shallower? Are they closer? You know what I'm saying? We don't know where they're at. And when you don't know where they're at, you have to slow down and be very conscious of what kind of cover and concealment you're using. And as you're moving closer, where is that cover and concealment that you're moving to? Because once he comes popping out of a door, or once he's uh, you know suddenly standing in front of you, you're going to take longer, a fraction of a second, if only that, a fraction of a second longer than they are to make a decision and taking action. And so if you have that cover and concealment available to you because you are moving smartly through the building, that gives you that fraction of a second. So if he gets the first round off, I mean, that this is what it really comes down to. If he gets the first round off, we want this to go into a pillar. We want it to go into a wall. We want it to go into a piece of furniture. Or maybe if you're in a prone or kneeling position, you know, we want this to go over your head or to your left or to your right. You know, we want that to occur. And then when you return fire, you're going to be able to neutralize them because... Um, you know, you're in the proper position. You're in a good firing position, a covered, defensible position. So I want you to understand just how that works. I, I, hope, I hope everything I said kind of makes sense to you. Your OODA loop is very likely going to be longer, even by a fraction of a second, longer than the bad guy because they have already made a decision to kill everybody on two legs. And so you have to use cover and concealment in three to five second rushes in order to buy you that ac that extra fraction of a second. Now for clarity, I, I just want to say this again. If you know where they're at, you can move rapidly, right? So I mean, if they're on one end of the building or outside and you're in the building or you're across, you know, way across the building, you can move it's as quickly as possible, but once you get closer to the active shooter, you need to slow down, take advantage of cover and concealment, and move towards that person. So I hope that makes sense to you. Basically, it's what do you know and how well do you know it? Because ultimately, it comes down to this. Now, a lot of you may have in your mind, you're just going to run straight up to the guy or, you know, as soon as you're in firing range and you're just going to engage them. And that's a very hero thing to do. 
I would just challenge you into this thought process. If he neutralizes you before you neutralize him, you've done no good. You haven't. And so he gets to continue going on his killing spree while you're laying there bleeding. And so just keep that in mind. Use, realize that your OODA loop is longer than his and realize that it's cover and concealment that's going to buy you that fraction of a second that you need to neutralize them. The next thing I want to talk about is the containment team. Now the containment team, I'm going to give you two ideas behind the containment team. The first idea is simply this. The idea of a good containment team member is that they're positioning themselves somewhere between where the active killer is and where innocent people are hiding. So the probably the easy example of that is this, is maybe there's a hallway or there's a door that goes into the children's section. If somebody on the containment team puts themselves in a position where they're covering that access point, you know, a defensible position behind cover or concealment, and they're covering that. So if the guy comes bursting through a door or he comes around the hallway, you're in a, a defensible position that you can observe, orient, decide, and act against them. Now that's the best case scenario, or maybe it's even the sanctuary. If they're out in the lobby or somewhere else in the building, and you're inside the sanctuary, and you set up to cover the doors that come into the sanctuary, then great, that's a good containment, um, a containment team reaction, a good containment type situation. But the containment team, so here's the second part, the containment team actually has a second purpose. And what that really comes down to is this, is we never know how our team members are going to respond in an active shooter situation. Now we can train and we should train a lot. We really need to train a lot where people are prepared to be part of that engagement team to move towards that active killer and neutralize them as soon as possible. And training increases the success level of all our team members to fulfill that requirement or that need. The thing is, is this, is we ultimately don't know how people will react. Some people on our team will freeze and or become partially, if not fully paralyzed by the deadly force threat that they're facing. And so we need to be able to take that team member who is trained, but is having a difficult time with the situation to still become useful. And so if they hear shooting on the west end of the church, but they know that there are people on the east end, and if they drop back and put themselves in a position in order to defend people in that area, we've actually gained something, right? And so this is not cowardice. I want, I want to be very careful with this. So I've been to war twice. I've been in law enforcement 18 years. I've seen stuff. I've been in stuff. I know stuff. And I, what I'm telling you is this. You can have people on your team that nine out of 10 times, or even 99% out of 100%, 99% of the time, they are people of great courage 
and willingness to take stuff. But we all have bad days. And it's really just a combination of things. Maybe their thoughts are on their family. Maybe they just didn't get enough sleep. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe some psychological thing is going on, mental block or whatever is going on. And all of a sudden, they find themselves that somebody who's almost always brave suddenly can't move. And so this is not a bad thing. We should not judge them for that. You know, until you've, you know, if you're a military vet, war vet, or you've been in law enforcement a long time, you've probably seen this too with your team members or, you know, your fellow officers. A good guy can have a bad day and we need to cut him a break. And we have to remember that that also could be us. We could be the ones that are having a bad day. And so with the containment team idea, which is extremely good in its, in its pure form, if we can have that guy at least fall back to a position in order to safeguard a, a group of innocents, then let's do that. And that's what the containment team is about. Number one, if you want to post somebody in the children's ministry and their primary responsibility is containment, awesome. That makes complete sense. But all, if you're not necessarily doing that, you know, you have low numbers on your team or whatever, it's like, hey, you find yourself, you know, between the bad guy and the children's ministry, it is okay to fall back to this position. Um, the worst case scenario, of course, is somebody who can't even fall back. They're just where they are at that moment. Um, not ideal, but once again, they can at least defend a certain perimeter around them, you know, line of sight, that's around them. And if the bad guy comes through that area, you know, hopefully that team member who's, you know, partially paralyzed or afraid will take action to at least defend their own life and defend that area. And so that's where the containment team comes in. Now, I need to restate this. The containment team person is not a bad person. We can't make a judgment about they're not a hero, they're not Rambo, they're not Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever. They're not that hero. We can't think of that in those terms. We have to realize that people are gifted differently. And if you've been running a safety team at your church for any amount of time, you know who your go-getters are, the ones that are most likely to follow you into the fray. And then you also know that there are people that are less likely to follow you into fray. We'll get them a job. Give them a job. And that's where the containment team comes in. Give them a place they're supposed to report to. You might even have team members on your, you know, that are on your team that are, you're like, okay, your job, if you hear gunfire or firecrackers, whatever you want to say, both, your job is to fall back to the children's area. And that's okay. That's good. Because now they're defending the children's area. And it gives the engagement team one less thing to worry about, right? We know the kids are protected. We know that there's people inside the sanctuary that are, if that guy goes bursting through their doors, there's going to be a hail of gunfire in his direction. Don't be too close behind him when he does that. But you know what I'm saying. So use your team, engagement team, containment team, and uh, train, cross-train. I mean, I train everyone to be engagement, and I train everybody to be containment because you never know who's going to be where at what time, and you want to maximize the use of your team the best you can go, you best you can.
So before I let you go, I just want to remind you of our certification program. You know, we cover all of this. We're just adding right now, like dangerously close to adding our mass trauma course. That means our certification course has eight different uh, sub-courses in it. And we cover everything from active shooters to mass trauma events and verbal de-escalation and blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on and on. You're definitely going to want to take advantage of that. Your team's going to want to take advantage of that. And really what it comes down to is this. It's about laying that firm foundation that can be built on then. And that's one of the biggest failures for safety team members is safety teams, safety ministries, is we all assume everyone thinks and knows what we know. And I can tell you right now, what you think is common sense and basic is not basic for anybody else. And we have to get everyone on the same sheet of music so then you know what you can build on and what your team can build on. So thank you. Um, consider that. Um, finally, if you like this video, like, share, comment. Um, a lot of you guys have been doing that. I really appreciate that. So there's a guy out there, Just Jack. Thank you so much. I mean, I think you're liking and commenting to every single one of the YouTube videos. I appreciate that. And there's other guys out there too that are commenting, interacting. And that's great because number one, we can get that conversation going. Maybe it's a simple question, you know, something we can discuss, all that good stuff. And it helps other people. The other thing it does, of course, it tells Google and, uh, you know, iTunes and all those other places that this is something worth sharing and that other people get this information start start taking real steps to protect their congregations. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us today. And, hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.